you're only as good as your last party. You're only as good as your last show. You're only as good as the last impression that you left on, on someone. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Everybody, I would love to welcome Josh Huser. He is the founder of Agar. Agar is an experience company, which we're going to talk about in a minute. I have known Josh, I think, I think I first met you, Josh, like 10 years ago, I think. And we're going to, right? We're going to, we'll, yeah, talk about that. And listeners, Josh, you don't know this, but Josh is one of those guys that I had like, heard about because he was this hyper creative smart guy and i had some friends who kind of knew him peripherally and i was like dude is a badass i want to meet him and then we got to hire you for a little bit of work not a we weren't a huge customer of yours but you were just amazing so welcome thank you happy to be here and excited to share my story and just have a one-to-one conversation with you sarah so mutual mutual respect here on this end so awesome all right, Josh, uh, experience company, wh- what the heck does that mean? Uh, that's a great question. I, I sometimes have to wonder how to answer that myself. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's you know having passion to bring people together for, um, for, for memories and moments, right? I, I feel like I've been doing that since I was in college when I was in high school, um, you know, throwing parties, uh, hosting events, uh, the idea of... Yeah bringing people together for human connection. Um, mm. and, and I think it's just even more valuable now than it's ever been given the last, the last two years. So. So I also think that you, I was describing somebody to you today and I was like, he took marketing and kind of turned it upside down on the experience part or, you know, the, I, I know it was, I don't know if you guys do this anymore and I'm not, I am definitely a marketing novice, but like guerrilla marketing and you guys were like out on the street, you were forefront of social media. And so today, before we get off, I want to talk about what do you see as the next turn in marketing? But before we go there, because that's kind of a really good like hook for people to stay on this podcast. Where did you grow up and tell us about your background? So I grew up in Independence, Kentucky. So I'm just a hillbilly from Kentucky. I always stop. I, intro- I didn't know that myself. though. Yeah, just so 20 minutes south, um, rural city um, or rural town, shall I say? Um, maybe one mm-hmm. streetlight, if that. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in in Kentucky, 20 minutes south, uh, and very rarely went to the city as a kid. Um, I don't remember like trips to Cincinnati or anything along those lines. I don't think I discovered Cincinnati until I was in college at NKU. So NKU, you go to NKU, but before that, do you go to like a, uh, is it a small public school, parochial school? Like what, what goes there? Public school. Um, What's interesting is my, my mother was a, was a preschool teacher um, early on. Um, So I started preschool at like two, three years old. Um, and I started kindergarten early. So my birthday was in October. Um, so a thing people don't know about me is I was 16 when I was a senior. Um, no way. I was 17 in college. So I had to have a fake ID to get into college night. 
Um, so I, I think that like kind of always, you know, I was the young one, right? So I was always the one that had to prove myself to the kids that were in my same grade, but I was the young kid the year. Where were two you in years the birth order? Uh, I'm the youngest of two. So, um, you know, I only have one, one sibling. That's my sister. But in school, you know, when I was a freshman, my sister was a senior. I was like, I don't know, 12. Um, so I, I was like the, the entire youngest person in school picked on, but I was also mouthy and just kind of went mm -hmm. after everybody because you kind of had to be. Um, but you had to be smart enough uh, intellectually and emotionally that your parents did that because most boys today, they will hold them back a year in school. Yeah, I mean, my mom often jokes and says I was a genius, but now I'm just kidding. I think all moms, moms say that. <laughs> um, but no, I think I was just ready. You know, I've always been one of these people that are ready and I show up 10 minutes to early to everything. My wife gets crazy yeah, because it's like, if I've got to be there at eight, I'm showing up at 10 to late. Like I'm not, I'm not late. I'm always on time. I, I, I feel like, you know, as a, you know, talking about, you know, having a child of my own, I was early. I often say like, I can, let's, let's go, let's get this on. Um, so I always come into that perspective of like, let, like being ready all the time and let's, let's go. Um, so I think that motivates me. Yeah, you definitely have high motivation. You have high drive for sure. That's like your, one of your superpowers. Josh, uh, what did your parents, your mom was a school teacher. What did your dad do? Well, my mom was a school teacher early on at like the church um, that, I, that I went to. Um, and then prior, you know, post that, you know, my dad was a, was a steel worker. Um, you know, he was, you know, he, he was a foreman on a steel plant. And my, my mom's side of the family were, worked at the steel plant and they were union. So my dad, like there was always these family dynamics of like when, you know, my dad would have to cross the union line because he was, he was a foreman at a steel plant. My, my, my mom's brothers were part of the union. Um, and my mom was, you know, she started off wow. as night shift at UPS, um, you know, which, I mean, you know, what, what amazing, I, don't, I think we take for granted these amazing corporations and what they've done for families from healthcare to mm -hmm. retirement to, you know, like, you know, being able to, to provide. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, just working middle-class, um, you know, with, you know, from, from steel working to, to UPS. Um, so that's, that's did, the background. Did your parents, did your parents stay together? No, they divorced my, um, my senior year in college, uh, which was, hmm. was interesting, which was probably a pretty pivotal, pivotal moment for me, you know, being mm -hmm. a senior in college, Kind of, I stayed at home because I was the last one. My sister went away to college and I, I just, I don't know. I, I stayed home. And I think when we, you know, when they left, when they split, it was, you know, I kind of had left the house and you kind of wonder, okay, did they just stay together long enough to keep me, you know, in, you know, keep things normal. And then, you know, how long ago did they outgrow one another? Like, you know, those questions probably led to yeah. some more of the party inside. Um, exploring nightlife, exploring yourself, you know, that, that I think that's a big yeah. part of the root of what drove me to maybe nightlife and hospitality in the beginning is like yeah. this idea of, okay, you know, go explore yourself and maybe a little naivety. Um, but, you know, that's probably some bit of Rudy. You always try to figure out like where it comes from. I um, but I think that was probably a pivotal moment in, 
in life, you know, looking back at it, like, I don't know if I was there for my mother as much as I probably should have been, you know, like she had this big house and yard and like, I don't even remember who mowed the grass, you know, cause I was out like, you know, wild hair partying, like let's go raise, yeah. you name it. Were you, when you were in college and high school, were you more of a rule follower? Like, did it shift after college or no, you always had that wild streak? My sister was, was like the straight A student. And I, she, okay. she, you know, put a nice path in front of me and I just came through and just destroyed it. I mean, I remember <laughs> in high school, I would throw parties. Like I, I like the Thursday evening going into Friday, I would tell everybody that I'm having a party and I would just pick a field up, up the street and like, we me? wouldn't even uh, like we would, and everybody would just show up. And, and then when the cops came, it was just kind of like, ah, oh, well, this, everybody just, everybody just go home. So I kind of threw these parties and hope, you know, not hoping, but in the understanding that like, this is going to get broken up. And, but like, did I get everybody to come out? Like, yeah, everybody came out. Okay. Um, I'm so curious. So like, <laughs> During this this rave, like hospitality, are you like managing clubs? Are you bartending? Like, what are you doing? Well, I I started in college throwing parties um, for a fraternity that I joined because they wanted to do fundraisers, um, like yeah. car washes and stuff like that. And I was like, like we sit in front of a Hardee's <laughs> all day and make like eighty bucks. And I was like, kids in college want a party. What if we rented out like? a hall and we charge people to get in and we use those as fundraisers. Um, so I remember renting like in my sophomore, junior in college, we were renting VFW halls um, and throwing like keg parties. Um, and then when I graduated, the bars yeah. and venues kept calling. So I never got a job. Um, and I, I started, you know, taking, you know, what was then school nights, like Sunday nights, like holidays where, a lot of people work, but government employees or students have the day off. So Columbus Day, Martin Luther yeah. King, these, these holidays that were on a Monday where most people weren't going out on Sunday. I was going down the main street and renting out, have a nice day and oh jump. God. And because they were closed and I'd be like, I'll bring you 300 people on a night that you're normally closed. And that's how I, I kind of started to, to So how make did money. you do that? Because- social media wasn't around then it was the original social media um because what was it oh we created the, yeah i often say we you know social media was a was a post office first and then it was a bar and then it was a website it's the exchange of information in social settings and you used to go to a post office early in the early 1900s that's where you got your news and you exchanged information it was the same thing as a bar and a pub. That's where you went and communicated and discussed current events. So when social media came around, I was like, we're already doing this in bars and clubs. Um, it, you know, we were writing blogs. We were taking photos and, and, and posting them on websites on Monday. And we watch everybody come and take those photos. So there was an oh easy gosh. correlation of, of, of the two because um, it was just the exchange of information and social settings. Um, and that's kind of what has kicked off the whole experience world, right? Like the ability to bring people together and deliver powerful social messages or powerful brand messages in social settings. Okay. So maybe I can ask you this question now. So it was post office bars. What did you say was the next one? Social media. 
social media. And is that going to change? What's next? I thought we were saving that to the end. <laughs> I know. I just really want to know so badly. Well, the post office really doesn't exist anymore, does it? No. I don't know that social media will. So that's a whole nother philosophy and a whole nother thought. Um, but I don't know that social media, I don't know that your social life and media is a valuable asset or contribution to society. Interesting. So do you think that there's opportunity to go back to like smaller community-based connection? Absolutely. I think things due to COVID are becoming more empathetic and more intimate. I think people are searching out more empathy and more intimacy in their human connections. Um, and, and, and look at, look at the opposite of that. The world is, is, you know, over the past three, four years, even just before COVID was not very empathetic. You know, there's not a lot of very, you know, and and moments weren't very intimate. They were shared all over the world. They were, you know, media, this media, that. So I, I think we're moving in a period of empathy and intimacy. That's really interesting. How do you, like, if you needed to get a message out, how do you scale with enti- with empathy and intimacy? Um, well, I, I guess the question is, why does everything have to be about the, the message getting out, right? Like, mm-hmm. because ultimately your message, you know, it, it, everyone's gone about the message versus the actual product itself. The golden rule in marketing is if you have a great product, you don't need marketing. Look at Tesla. I mean... They don't do any marketing, but everybody in the world knows about Tesla um, because it's a superior product. And I think we've gotten away from superior products that bring value to human civilization. And if you focus on that, then the message is already told. But I feel like then you're working yourself out of a job. Well, I mean, that that's okay. Um, because I'll find the next thing to do and maybe I want to work myself out of a job. Maybe I want to find the next thing or the next challenge or the next experience, which there, there are others, there are things, you know, other things we want to work on and, and develop and build. So you don't get tied to, uh, you, it doesn't seem like you have a ton of attachment to things. Like you can shift really easily. Yeah, I think. I've always built things, you know, like for example, when we did club claw, um, in the early two thousands, it's a crazy story that I don't think anyone would ever believe, but tell me, um, we were sitting, we showed up at the bar on a Wednesday night. No one ever, I don't think anyone, uh, Scott Sheridan and I, I don't think anyone would ever believe this story. And I don't think it's ever been told. We showed up at club claw on a Wednesday and there was a little package on the door. To, to Scott and myself. It literally was addressed to both of us. We opened the package up. I'll never forget this. It was, the, it was and someone sent us the book, The Purple Cow from Seth Godin. Um, yeah. And it's a you know, bestseller. Um, and we're like, this is weird. We get a book. Um, you know, we set it back in the office. And that night, Jerry Springer was hosting a fundraiser as he was running for Congress or governor or something. And he had rented out cloth, like just random that Jerry Springer rented out the place. And we're sitting back in the back room because we're like, okay, it's like a private event. We're back in the office and we start getting the book out. 
and we read, you know, we're reading, I'm reading the book aloud and we're on like page 11 or 12. It's like a 90 page book. It's a short book. Yeah. And we looked at one another and I said, let's close this place. Like, no way. That's a, that's yeah. where the initial conversation started. Let's close it. Let's end it. And, and it was in there. The joke was it's the Seinfeld thing, right? But it's like, but how do you become the purple yes. cow? How do you, how do you stand out? How do you do something that is like, why would you, like, why would you do this? And people couldn't understand. And there was rumors, oh, we're in the drugs or they don't know how to run a business or this or that. It was just kind of like, well, who else is we doing did this? It. Yeah. Like we, we, who, do, who do we need to prove our success to? Um, and instead of caring about how successful this thing is or how long it's going to go, let's just end it and write our own next chapter. Um, which brought on its own level of like, you know, uh, challenges and can you reinvent lightning in a bottle? But it also, that's what made it lightning in a bottle at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you also, then you're challenging every time you go to create something for a while. Like I had to step out of the nightclub world for a while. Cause I was like, man, it's just like too overexposing. Like, you know, there's all this pressure. What do you mean? To, what do you mean? Well, you know, like social media, right? You have influencers. Um, you know, we talk about social media being over overexposing, right? Like it exposes a person and who they are and their emotional traits and how they share things. And it's kind of a little exposing. Well, nightlife at the time was very much that as well. I mean, it was the PR machine. How many times can you get on the news? What celebrity do you have? And what? And you know, so it was a little bit exposing in our own personal life that was just a little just too much at the time. It's like, man, like I'm becoming this, this, this persona that people that really don't truly know me other than the five minutes they see me. Um, and I used to, we used to have the nickname Sh Charles Shergood III, Shergood to meet you for the third time. Cause I, you know, I don't really have, you know, a, a real in-depth conversation with you. It's like, yes. come to the next thing, come to the party, come to the party. And as you're getting in your mid twenties, you're kind of like, man, this is, that's just like, I, like shallow, shallow, but also shallow in the, in the, in the idea of like, there's gotta be more out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's gotta be, you a, know, what's a, weird. I didn't know you in that phase. Yeah. I didn't know you at all in that phase. So basically you guys cl close it. You think about how you can, what are you going to do next? Redefine. Did you go, did you go straight into clubs? Nightlife, yeah, we did. We did, did two or three more um, and rolling them in, but tried to also hide behind the veil and not be as front and center in them. Um, and that worked up until like, you know, the economy crash in 08, 09. I had owned the place on fourth street, um, bang nightclub. Um, and, mm -hmm. and you know, that, and I, and I was in, you know, a, 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 a somewhat toxic relationship, um, that was, you know, at, at no one's fault, but each of our own and, and got out of that, you know, kind of right when the economy crashed, you know, I was able to get out of, out of that nightclub. And that was kind of the end where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm passing that torch. But that was also the time when 0809 happened that like Twitter and Facebook had just created their IPOs, right? And social media yeah. was rising. And I was like, okay, brands and companies are going to pay me to create these experiences because I can bring that consumer to them directly. And how did you even think of that? Seriously? Was it just a thought? Did you do reading? Did you brainstorm with somebody? 
No, you when you're sitting, get your ideas. Well, when you're sitting around and you're paying fifty thousand dollars for Paris Hilton to show up to a party, and you got to sell a thousand tickets at fifty bucks, and people are like, you know, calling you trying to get free. It's like, why wouldn't X company pay me fifty grand to bring this person, and all these people can come for free, and you can interact with them. And you can yeah. get their you can get yeah. their email, you can get their phone number because at that age, people are so fickle. They'll give you their your social security number to come to that party, right? So it's like, what kind yeah. of data that like humans are going to give up their data, their contact information to have a social experience. So there's a value in a social experience. And the mantra of the, the premise of why Agar was founded is as the world moves more and more digital, the value of a human experience inherently increases. That is the why. Mm-hmm. That is the why of of the company existing is as the but world. But you guys knew that even before it got to this point. At 08, 09, that was the why in the company. It's always been the why. Which is in the amazing. Company. Yeah. Which is amazing. And it that's the thing that pushed us through COVID, right? Like, you know, when you're in the world of bringing people together and it says separate, like you talk every single business shut down. Yeah. But but I'm yeah. sitting here going that that value proposition that why is never more important than it is today. And like, so yeah. you just got, you just got to survive and push through because the, the reality of the why and the mission is, is coming, you know, to the forefront right in front of us right now. So it's like, so did you guys then help brands re during COVID reconnect with their customer? Um, yeah. I mean, we're, did we, you mean our clients were we, where we, oh yeah. I mean, we started with testing of the front of, of like porch pours, which was a thing we just tested in the city of, can we get everybody to go out on their porch at the same time and do the same thing collectively? Like not, not no connected website, no, you know, just know that, you know what, around the city and we had like 10,000 people participate. Can, really? can, oh yeah. Can, yeah. And so many people using the hashtag and it was just called porch pours. It was a virtual happy hour that we just said it. We'll give you a playlist. We'll give you some drink recipes at five o'clock on Friday, go sit on your front porch and have a cocktail. But like people were stuck in their house. So like, so they needed experiences and they needed a social connection, like, but they couldn't connect, but they could at least know that I'm doing this. And so were hundreds or thousands of other people. Um, and that was, a a piece that was just kind of like, we just made up one day, like, let's try to get, get people to, to do something, you know, because that was some, you know, for us, that was some dark times. I mean, it was, you know, it was, you know, you see your whole book of business in an entire year, just completely go away. Um, Annihilated. Annihilated. And, and, you know, it's like, okay, now what do we do? So which we're not the only people that don't everybody across the world has felt that in many ways, you know, no, even if you were being, you know, in many companies succeeded greatly and have doubled and tripled in growth, but they still had a fear of like, can I keep, it's either, can I hold on or can I keep up? You know, if you're riding on a fast train and that thing, and you're, you're sitting there, you're either scared to death that you can't hold on and you're going to let go of it. Um, or if you don't have anything, you're like scared the next thing, you know, so there, I feel like fear was, was on both sides. Um, What do you, is, is like, what's your relationship with fear? Um, I don't, I never had a, 
a thought of fear um, until I had my son. You know, yeah. that's the thing that like, you know, because you realize there's someone depending on you and that my, my life actually has value. Mm. And that, that, that was probably the first time that I looked at like fear, like, you know, in any, in any facet, because you're like, okay. But I grow, gotta- until then, not much, not much fear. No. It's rare. Yeah. I mean, what is there to fear though? Like that's. Everything. <laughs> How is that possible? Oh I'm telling you. But I, so my, my relationship with fear is uh, in the Enneagram, I'm a self-pres seven. So like I face fear in the, I face fear in the face. That's really the not right word for that. And I can't talk or be articulate for a second now, but I like, I'm like, bring it. I'm going to address the fear. I'm going to face the fear and I'm going to move on. I love fear. Fear motivates me. Yeah. And, and so there's a thing here in, in the office that, you know, that I take bad news better than I take good news. Like we land a client and everybody's cheering and I'm mad because I'm like, oh, we got, we got, oh God, we got to figure out how to what do this. To do. And now we got to do like, how are we going to pull this off and execute it and blah, blah, blah. And then bad news comes and it's like rise to the occasion. Right. I do think there's a yeah. thing I joke with one of my really good friends and mentor who's a very successful businessman. Um, and his wife told me like he, he lives in a constant need of um, like uh, of a, he lives in a constant need of a um, crisis. And, and I believe entrepreneurs live like we thrive in moments yeah. of cri- crisis. I do. Yeah. Like, if you don't thrive in a moment of crisis, you're mm-hmm. probably not an entrepreneur. You're boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say boring, but like, you know, it's like everything. Yeah. Everything else is boring, right? The crisis is where it's fun. Like I get the like, yeah. you know, yeah. you got to get, you got to solve this. Where, um, for you growing up, cause I think it's a combination of nature versus nurture. Where do you think that comes from? That relation, your relationship with fear. Um, I think kind of the rural part of, um, of growing up in, in rural Kentucky, um, mm-hmm. you know, my, I remember as a young, my, 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 my grandparents on both sides, you know, passed probably before I was, you know, well, my, my dad's side made it a little longer, but my mom's side passed early. Um, you know, and I always stayed at my grandmother's house early, her, her one of her youngest brothers, you know, passed at a car accident, very young. And he was like the cool hip uncle, had the Corvette, like was the mm. ladies man, like, yeah, you know, when life, life took him way too soon. And I think there's something about like being in a, you know, coming from nothing and by, by nothing, I mean, my family did everything to take care of me, but by nothing, like you had to entertain yourself all day, like playing outside yes. and, you know, there, there was really nowhere to go. Fields, woods, creeks, uh, motorcycles, you know, so. Your then, imagination was really your, your playset. A hundred percent. And so with that, you don't, you know, you're not worried that like anybody's going to get you or, <laughs> you know, you're not in a city and you're going to get robbed. You don't even have those thoughts as a kid. So you know, like there, there was never anything to fear. Um, so I, 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 I would, you know, 
credit a lot of a lot of that, but also seeing life taken at a very young age. And that like how old were you? I think I was God, I was probably thirteen or fourteen. Um, and I remember the door knock and the police was at my house. Um, and it, it uh, he'd been missing for a couple of days and we thought he just, he kind of would always get up and go, go out, you know, go out of town for four or five days. And they found him right down the street from our house. He'd ran off the road and we drove by that by there every day. Uh, and you didn't see And him. didn't even know. Um, so that was a thing I think that like, you know, you remember as a kid, um, but you also like, okay, well life's short, like let's make the best of it. And mm-hmm. figure out like, you know, I don't know any other, I don't know any other way. So, well, what surprises me is that I think a lot of people become what they are because they've had role models with that. And I mean, it doesn't sound like your parents were very entrepreneurial. No, but you know, all my parents' friends were entrepreneurs. I don't know. Really? Yeah, I start and and they lived a better life than than I did. I started in the restaurant industry at eleven years old. Um, I was a dishwasher for a family-owned restaurant, um, and they own a fireworks company too. So I worked in fireworks in the summer and the restaurant oh in the winter. And I used to, you know, go behind the bar at 11, 12 years old and like do a shot of pickle juice, you know, <laughs> well, you know, and, and I make 20 bucks doing dishes, you know, and, yeah. I, and when it was someone's birthday, they tap on the window and I'd like the fireworks out by the lake to like celebrate someone's birthday. So like it, it, when you look back at that, like there are moments and experiences that make people happy. I've been doing it. Like that's, it's rooted in, in what I do or what I've done. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's like, there's that thread. That's, absolutely. That's still there. Yeah. It's, and it's evident, you know, and you know that as you look back on life, like all those little things that you did and, you know, your first job, like that was my first job. Like, it's weird, you know, lighting fireworks, blink and luminosity, that's to modern day fireworks. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. So uh, if your friends were to ask you, hey, Josh, you were on Failing Forward. What was your failure story? What would you tell them it was? Man, there's... Um, I'd say when I, when I reset and started in 08, 09, um, when the economy hit and I got out of bang just with a little bit of, of cash and I'd started, I really just felt like life just reset and I was right at like 30 years old. Um, yeah. and it was like a, a new beginning. I slept on a friend's couch for like a week or two cause I was moving out of a apartment and had to figure out like what that, um, like what was going to be next. And then you just left with yourself. Right. Um, but in many eyes, it wasn't a failure. It was just a reset. And I said that early to you before that was the moment when I said, the moment you have nothing is the moment you have it all. Like you can be anything to at at any time, you know, and, and I, my sister just recently lost her job and I told her, congratulations. Like, like you like, that is like the greatest gift because you, it's an opportunity. You, You know, so many people are beholden by the job that they have. Like me right now with Agar and all the things that I have, I, they own me. I don't own them. So like the moment you have nothing, like, God, that's the greatest moment. Well, you can be anything. Do you know what I keep think like keeps popping in my head when you say the moment you have nothing is the moment you have everything is that 
the word freedom just keeps popping up in my head. And I feel like you give yourself permission and freedom to try different things over and over and over and over and over again. Whether it's with clients, whether it's new jobs, new businesses. Yeah, but they all have that, you know, so you're, you're only as good as your last party, right? Like no one ever. Do you really still believe that? 100%. 100%. You're only as good as your last party. No one remembers what you did three or four times ago. You go, you know, Ghost Baby, you go to Ghost Baby and you had the time of your life with your friends, whatever. You come back a month later, you don't have a good experience. You remember that bad experience. Do you own Ghost Baby? Yeah. That was, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. But anything, you're only as good. Yeah. Your yeah. podcast, right? You know, you have a track record, right? People are only going to, like, you're going to be judged by the last one they no, listen to. No, you're right. You're right. You're only right. as good as your last party. You're only as good as your last show. You're only as good as the last impression that you left on, on someone. And and th- that I've learned through the business. How do you not make that? Uh, how do you separate self-worth from that? Because if self-worth is tied to you're only as good as your last party, when do you ever feel full? Um, when I eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Deflected. You yeah. just totally deflected that. Kind yeah. Of uh, no, I mean, but what is, what is. Full? No, but I don't like, think you, I don't think you, and I, you know yourself way better than I do. I don't think you tie personal uh, like identity or self-worth to work or maybe you do. No, I think it's, you know, it's, it's hard because it's, you know, there's, there's all these, there's always more. Okay. So you do something and you know, it's like, like Tom Brady, for example, like, like when he's done with football, like what's he really going to do beyond that? Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's why he's still playing. Like, what is the next sell is sell his vitamins. Yeah, well, yeah, but there, there would be nothing like that pass to a roaring crowd. You know, they're, they're, yeah. you know, that or yeah. the feel of defeat to say, hey, I can come back and win again. Um, yeah. So I would say that, you know, there's just constantly you take, you know, what, what, what I feel like I do is I take, you know, from these experiences or these moments or these creations and it helps mold and shape the next thing. It's a constant development of growth of adding what I just learned from this or just learned from that conversation and putting it together into the next piece, right? It's all just another puzzle piece that keeps keeps growing and keeps manifesting. Adding and adding. Oh, keeps manifesting. Are you a big manifester? Do you believe I, in that? I, oh yeah, I, I believe that if you, if you have a belief or an idea or desire to create something, the world will open up to you if you believe it hard enough. And the moment you get ready to quit is the, is right, like, is that's, you're forced in many occasions to go all the way up to the feeling that you're like, this isn't going to happen. And you like, you either continue to push or you quit. And, and I, I think that if you have the belief, you have to manifest, you have to see it and you have to vision it, right. That like, you have to like, there's a project I'm working on right now. Like I already see myself in it. I already know what it looks like. I already know what it feels like. I can walk through the whole thing and I can see it and touch it and feel it. And now I have to go create it. And it's be a, the ability to like 
Will you, you say know, what it is or do you have to keep it secret? I, I can't say what it is now, but Ghost Baby, for example, okay. like I saw that when I walked in it, the vision, like I can, I can see, see it, touch it, feel it. And I can't get the thought out of my head. And so I have to like make that happen. I have to like find a way to make that present it, present it to the world. And then once you present it to the world, you've already saw it enough and you've already imagined it enough that it's done. You know, you want it to last and you want it to be facilitated or operated, but so how do you do that? Because because you're like me. Well, no, maybe you're not like me. I like to start things, but then once I have them like birthed, I'm kind of like, okay, see you later. Do you like to maintain it, or do you just find a team that can then maintain it? It would be good ideal to find a, a team that can. Well, ultimately, in any vision that you you envision, you then have to cast that vision to others to then fulfill. Like if they don't find their way into that vision or that idea for them to create it and make it their own, then that was just a selfish vision. And you just kind of felt short of like, I just did this for me. Right. You have to be able to. Whoa. That just blew my mind. (laughs) That was such a shift for me. In what regard? So I keep thinking like, okay, I have these ideas and this vision, but then I think, God, how do I get the, how do I get somebody to, to, if I get it to here, how do I have somebody that maintains it? Because I don't want to do that. And I get insecure that there isn't anybody out there that's going to want to maintain it. And so, because I'm not casting the vision. And you're going to sell it, right? I mean, you got to yeah. sell the idea and the belief that that person believes yeah. it as much as you do. And they see the opportunity, you know, maybe not the same as you. You don't want them to see the same vision or same opportunity as you because it'll, it, like, They've got to be able to take it and make it their own because, you know, ideas are owned by others. You just have to give them the platform to, to, to bring it forward. Okay. My final question for you is what, what do you see is, and I know you can't share the secret one, but what do you see is what you're going to work on next? What's your next Josh evolution? other than having a second baby any day. I mean, he's not having the baby, you guys. His wife is having the baby. Yeah, I'm not having it. No. Um, you know, the hardest part on this project that I've, that I've encountered to date is the idea of not being believed in. And, you know, when you do, you know, and, I, and this is not like a humble brag. This is like in, in the way I feel like I've, you know, I've created nightclubs. Um, I've, you know, created an experiential marketing agency that's been successful. I've created an underground music festival. I've created an underground nightclub, uh, a, a wedding venue, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a live sym- symphony show to a projection mapping event with the symphony to blink. Right. And it's like, and then I have an idea. To ghost com- baby. Yeah, to ghost baby. And, and then you, you have an idea to combine all of those thinkings. It's the next chapter. And you have people that like, you know, because it's, it takes capital or it takes investment or, and like, I got to sell this. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Like, I got to sell this? You're like, how do you not see? I yeah, mean, how do you? I know. You, I, I know this is going to work. I know this is the next generation of experience that combines hospitality retail, entertainment, space and place. And I know it's next, but, you know, money makes people do weird things. 
So, so what do you do? Because you've hit this before. So how did you break through it in the past? Well, I've just got to keep keep going and like, you know, m- bring the manifestation to, to life and the truth. And it's like, like, or then it is like a, a failure, right? Like, because there's been a couple of times, like I got off the phone, I was like, oh, well, this is done, you know? <laughs> and then you breathe and you get back and you're like, okay, let's go swing yeah. a couple more. So I think this is, you know, if, you know, I'd love to be able to say this is a reality and happening in the next six months. And, and obviously it then it's time, you know, that takes time to create and build this, but, you know, everything is about building momentum. Like everything needs momentum. Everything that you're doing needs momentum and you have to keep oh. building momentum because, you know, you're constantly pushing uphill um, and momentum and rhythm is everything. I speak a lot of rhythm in our, in our, and to the team at Agar, like we need rhythms and you can feel every company has a heartbeat and a rhythm. It's the way people meet, the way people talk, the way people interact. And you can feel that sense. And I think people feel that in any growing business is the rhythm that a Wait, business or an idea has. Can you say more about that? Can you say more about the rhythm? Yeah. So we put intentional rhythms in our, in our business, uh, daily huddles, weekly huddles, weekly meetings that are, they're, they're really just rhythm meetings that allow people to check and balance and communicate that. and talk. And, and you sense, you, you get a feeling. And of create the, momentum. Yes. And goals and, and key initiatives that they got to do per quarter. And then, but you come together, we just don't sit for two hours and meet. Like I'd rather meet 15 minutes, quick updates. What are the check-ins? And let's get rhythm um, because it, it's, 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 it's important. It's the momentum in any, in any organization or any business is, is the, is the rhythm of the people. And sometimes you get a sense, Hey, it's off right now. Okay. How do we get Mm -hmm. it back, back in rhythm? I love that. Uh, That, okay. That's a mic drop on that one, on that rhythm thing. I'm going to take that to work. That's (laughs) really interesting. That's really good. Josh, you're the best. Thank you so much for being on. And I can't wait when this idea comes to fruition that we can share that too. Yep, you'll be you'll be one of the first to know. Thanks, buddy. Hey, right. congratulations on the baby. Congratulations as to soon you and, as the, baby and the success of of the podcast. Yeah. I've I've tuned into several um, listenings, and it's an honor to to share the story and share 35, 40 minutes with you. And just not enough people get yeah. to you're, you, what you're creating is a platform that I think everybody has thoughts and ideas, but few people have outlets to actually do them in a very empathetic and intimate way. And you're, you're providing that. So thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 